Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. For the longest time as a child, I didn't realise why this story or this Sunday was called Palm Sunday, um, and I had it wrong in my head, because a very creative Sunday school teacher had told the story of the triumphant entry to us as kids and said that as Jesus entered Jerusalem, he gave everyone a high five on the way in. And so I thought it was called Palm Sunday. Uh, it wasn't until a little bit after I realised that the reason it's called Palm Sunday is because uh, the people worshipped and, um, and were so excited uh, to see their king arrive that they, uh, as the Dave the donkey explained, uh, waved palm trees um, in the air and laid them down for Jesus to walk um, on his way into Jerusalem. But it is Palm Sunday and it can be a, a part of the Easter story that is often overlooked It can be a part of the story or the connection to uh, what we celebrate traditionally next weekend that we sort of miss the importance of. And the reality is the triumphant entry of Jesus uh, into Jerusalem, the Sunday before Easter, is this incredible moment in history. Uh, This incredible culmination of so much and the fulfillment fulfillment of so much. You know, what we see in the story is incredible and it has implications that perhaps you've never thought about before. Uh, This story proves so much. It gives us so much credibility as Christians as we walk into the weekend of Easter. It gives us an opportunity to see that God has an eternal plan. That Jesus was not an idea that he came up with around Christmas time. You know, Jesus was not a a sort of a rescue plan that God went, ah, the world that I've created is in trouble. I'm going to send Jesus and Christmas uh, was created. You know, God had a plan through Jesus that starts at the very beginning of the Bible and hasn't even finished yet. Jesus is eternal. And you know, I don't want to read the last page of the book this morning, but where I'm going is I want you to see that Jesus is probably more than you thought he was. And I want you to enter this week that is Easter with a little bit of who Jesus is in mind, a little bit of who Jesus is to you, and a little bit of who the Bible reveals Jesus is to us as we enter this really important week uh, that is Easter. So the city of Jerusalem is obviously where this story takes place, and it's important to understand the tension in the city. You know, like we just heard from Janine, if you think that there's tension in the Middle East today, then rewind 2,000 years, and you're going to find a powder keg of tension just about ready to blow. Culturally, economically, politically, it is on fire in the city of Jerusalem. Stuff is so tense. If you could ever get together everything that was needed for for a perfect storm. Uh, this was not just the right place. This was not just the right time period. This was the right week, the right day, the very right moment to feel a palpable tension in the city. Jerusalem is packed with people because uh, the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, have traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. They've come together to, uh, as a people of God 
God um, into their capital city uh, to celebrate the Passover. Every bed is taken. Every couch has got someone sleeping on it. Every floor has sleeping bags of people who have come to the city. The city is packed to capacity with the people of God, with the people of Israel, with the Jewish people. Um, And it has been a thousand years since the Jewish people have had a taste of freedom. A thousand years since the Jewish people have ruled themselves, have actually been in charge of their own culture and community. You know, between the, uh, the Babylonians and the Persians, the Greeks, and now the cruel rule of the Romans, they have been waiting. They've been waiting uh, for this one day that they would get their nation back. They've been waiting for the promised king the Messiah. It's what they've been reading. It's what they've been holding on to. It's what they've been rehashing. It's what they've turned into their dinnertime devotions. It's the scriptures, the Old Testament, the promises of God that one day a king is going to arrive and he is going to set God's people free. He is going to finally, once and for all, snap the, the bondages that are holding the people of Israel and have been for a thousand years at this point. At this time in the story, as Jesus comes into the parade, it's been 300 years of this perceived silence from God. It's been 300 years since there was a prophet. It's been 300 years since the Old Testament was sort of signed off and delivered And the people of Israel, the people of God, the Jewish people have been holding on to these promises, have been retelling them generation after generation, believing that God is sending a saviour, that God is going to send a king to them who will make nations bow before them and will set them in their rightful place as the chosen people of God. It's all through the Old Testament, these promises that point to a king that is coming. And the people of Israel, they have been holding on to these scriptures. They have memorized them. They have talked about them. And they have been remembered and retold and rehashed over and over and over again. Numbers 24, 19, a ruler will come out of Jacob. Deuteronomy 18, I will rise up for them a prophet from among their fellow Israelites and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command them. 1 Samuel, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always. 2 Samuel, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Isaiah 7, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, to us a child, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Micah 5, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from, for, from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. At least 60 times. The Old Testament points to, talks to, and promises this coming king. And for the people of Israel, the Messiah, 
the one who saves, the one who brings freedom. One day there's going to be this guy who has power like no other. One day there will be a king sent from God, sent from heaven, who is going to bring freedom to the people of Israel, who is going to give the people of Israel their rightful place under God, ruling themselves in charge. For 300 years, there has been this perceived silence from God, and they're waiting, they're looking, they're thinking about the thousand years that as a people, as a culture, as a community, they have been oppressed. They haven't been able to rule themselves. For 300 years, they've been holding on to these promises. They've been reshaping them and retelling them and making sure that everyone is holding on to this hope that God is sending his Savior. And for three years, the stories have been building. For three years, they started to wonder if maybe the guy is here. For three years, they've started building these stories. The expectation has started to build amongst the people of God. For three years, there's been this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. For the people of God, it's been three years, every day, a new story. Some they've seen with their own eyes. They've definitely known someone who saw Jesus do something. And for three years, the stories have been building. Maybe this is our guy. You know, for three years, every time you walk into the town square, there's a new guy wearing a tank top. And you think, weren't you in the leprosy colony a few months ago? Oh, yeah. Jesus touched me here and here and here and here, and now I'm this. You know, there's a guy sitting in the middle of the town, He used to be a blind beggar. Jesus walked past him one time and turned around, spat into the mud, picked up the mud and his loogie and rubbed it in his eyes. And now he's sitting in the middle of town reading one of those 3D magic puzzle books, showing off his 2020 vision. Jesus healed him. Three years, the stories have been building. There's a guy who walks out of the barber shop. He's cleanly shaven, his hair slicked back. You look familiar. What? Weren't you the guy that was possessed by a legion of demons? So strong, so powerful, we couldn't even chain you up. We had to put you on an island and you've just been running up and down the beach for years, yelling out crazy stuff, naked, mental, going insane. Oh yeah, that was me. But then this carpenter from Nazareth showed up, got out of his boat, walked up on the beach toward me and in eight words... A legion of demons came out of me, went into a herd of pigs, and the pigs walked off a cliff. Now I'm this. For three years, the stories have been being retold. There's a woman. She used to keep to the shadows, but now everyone knows her story. She's been bleeding for 12 years. You know, we don't know much about her. We don't know what kind of medical condition she had, but we can presume that one day she started bleeding and then never stopped. This is not a cycle for her. This is her everyday reality. She's been bleeding for 12 years. 
She spent every cent she has on medical intervention. Can, can you imagine what this woman has put herself through in first century medicine? The shame, the isolation, the loneliness that this woman must feel. She's a Jewish woman living in a Jewish community under Jewish law, which means when you are a bleeding woman, you cannot touch anyone. You are unclean. And if you touch somebody else, you infect them with your uncleanliness. She hasn't had physical contact in 12 years. She's isolated. She's desperate. She's tried everything. And then she hears. Jesus is coming to her town. She thinks if she can just get close enough, if she can just touch him, she knows. She could be healed from this. And so as Jesus is walking, the crowds are thrust around him. She gets in, she's brave, and she just touches the back of his cloak. And she knows instantly as power runs through her hand and down her body, she knows. She has been healed of this 12 years. She's known what she is. And now in a moment, in a touch, she's healed. She falls to her knees and Jesus immediately turns around and says, who touched me? He felt the power come out of him. This woman is on the floor in front of him, tears rolling down her face. Now she has to tell everyone what she's done. She explains who she is, what she's been living with, and what has just happened. And the crowd is outraged. What have you done, you silly woman? You are unclean. You are unclean. You are unworthy, and you've just touched our hero, and now he is unclean. He is unworthy. This was our miracle maker. This was our guy. We were parading him through the city, and you've wrecked it. But Jesus stops the crowd in one word. He turns around and he makes eye contact with this woman, makes sure she's looking him eyeball to eyeball. And in one word, he silences the crowd. He says, daughter. With one word, he takes this woman from unclean and unworthy to belonging in one word, he takes her from isolation into community. In one word, he shuts that crowd up. She's mine. You mess with her, you mess with me. Just after that, a synagogue leader comes running up into the crowd, nearly smacks into Jesus. Jesus, you've got to come. When I left three days ago, my 12-year-old daughter was on her deathbed. The only hope we have is you. Can you come quickly, please, Lord? And Jesus and his disciples take off toward where the synagogue leader lives. They turn up out the front of this little tiny house, and the mood around the house is somber. This girl has been really sick. She's 12. She's the synagogue leader's child. Jesus says to his disciples, you guys wait outside. James, Peter, John, you're with me. He walks inside. Before his very eyes is a lifeless body of a 12-year-old girl. No breath, no heartbeat, no pulse. 
The girl's mother leaves her bedside, maybe for the first time in days, walks into the embrace of her husband. It's too late. She's already dead. Jesus walks in front of the embrace, grabs the little lifeless hand of a 12-year-old girl and whispers to Lithicom, little girl, wake up in Aramaic. <gasps> she takes a breath. She sits up. Blood rushes to her face. She's got colour for the first time in months the little girl who was dead a moment ago is now alive, eyes open, breath in and out of her body. Her parents experience, I, I, I don't even know what they experience in this moment, but what they have just seen is a carpenter from Nazareth raise their daughter from the dead. Peter, James and John are Backs up against the wall, they lift up their mouths from the floor and they've got no idea what to say, what to do. Jesus says to them, guys, don't, don't, don't tell anyone about this. Don't, don't tell anyone. Which is an interesting move from Jesus because this guy is trying to build his case. This guy is trying to get the word out that he is the Messiah. He is the promised king. He is the son of God. And this story surely would take him to the top of the list. He just rose a little girl from the dead. Surely what his instructions to his disciples would be is tell everybody. Let's get this printed and a flyer in everybody's letterbox. But no, he says, guys, don't tell anyone about this. Why? Why does not use this to his advantage? Well, maybe, I mean, I don't know, but maybe, maybe he knew that a little 12-year-old girl had to go on living her life. She had to go through puberty, become a teenager, become a woman, get married, have children. And how was her life going to be led as the dead girl, as the zombie? You see, Jesus, in a moment where he could have used his power to prove who he was, to raise his reputation. Maybe he decided a little 12-year-old girl's reputation was more important. He says to his guys, don't tell anyone what happened here. And go and make her some macaroni and cheese. She's going to be hungry. For three years, the stories have been building. The whispers have become full volume. The anticipation is growing. Is this our guy? That Mary and Joseph's boy? Could he be the one? Could this guy be the one? Is he the one? You take all of that, the last three years of Jesus' ministry, and add it to this day, at this parade. It's the celebration of Passover. You know, if you've been with us from the beginning of the year, we've been looking at the book of Exodus and right whack bang in the middle of Exodus is the story of the Passover. It's been 1,400 years, uh, 1,446 years, nearly 1,500 years before this moment, this Palm Sunday, where the Passover happened. The people of Exodus were once again oppressed by the world power at the time, Egypt. God wanted to set his people free. He sent a leader named Moses and said, go and tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. So Moses went to the Pharaoh and said, God wants you to let my people go. And the Pharaoh said, no. And so God sent these plague, plague after plague after plague. 
And Pharaoh was stubborn. Pharaoh was, uh, was steadfast. No, I will not let your people go. And finally, God sends the final plague. He's going to send the angel of death to Egypt. And he's going to take the firstborn child of every family in Egypt. He pulls his people together and he says, people of Israel, I'm going to save you from this. I want you to slaughter a lamb, take the, take the blood and paint it over the threshold of your home. And as the angel of the Lord descends upon Egypt tonight, the angel will pass over the houses that have the blood of the lamb on their threshold. And sure enough, that night, the final plague happens in Egypt. The angel of the Lord comes and takes the firstborn child of every family in Egypt, except the people of God who had painted the blood of the lamb over their thresholds. And so for 1,446 years, the people have celebrated the Passover. For 1,446 years, they all get together, they slaughter a lamb, and they have a meal together that signifies the promise that God would save his people. The day that God did just that in Egypt and the day that is coming where he will send his king, he will send a lamb to save them again. That is why the city is busting with people. The Jewish people, the people of God, have come to Jerusalem to experience and celebrate the Passover. The city is busting with people. For 1,446 years, they've been celebrating this day in this week by killing a lamb and remembering it took blood to save you. And one day there will be a lamb that saves you again. They will drink a cup of promise that said one day God will send the Messiah and it's on this day, in this moment, in this week, right in this powder keg of tension, after three years of Jesus' ministry, after 300 years of perceived silence, after 1,446 years of waiting for the Lamb to come, that Jesus shows up at the gates of Jerusalem with his posse of disciples. And that's where we find ourselves on Palm Sunday. Matthew 21 says this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. I love the way that this starts. The city is packed. The anticipation is palpable. And Jesus is out the front of Jerusalem. He's not quite there yet with his disciples. And he huddles them in like a football coach. He huddles them in, come on guys, take a knee. And he says, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to Jerusalem. You and you. You're going to go in, turn left, turn right. You're going to find a donkey and a colt there. I want you to untie them. If anyone says anything, say, the Lord needs them. Take off. It's the first donkey jacking in all of history. And it's an interesting choice, isn't it, a donkey? You know, surely if the people are waiting for a king to arrive, if the people are waiting for their coming Messiah, a thousand years of oppression, 300 years of memorizing scripture, three years of hearing about this Jesus, if the king is coming, surely he's going to come on like a Mustang or a camel or an elephant. But Jesus chooses a donkey. It's like he rides in on a, on a moped when they're expecting the Pope-mobile. A donkey. 
Why does he choose a donkey to ride in on? Well, the scriptures tell us in verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is the direct quote of the prophecy of Zechariah. This is what they have read. This is what they are expecting. This is what God has promised. Your king is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. So what's the first thing that Jesus does? He gets a donkey. He gets a donkey. The details here are so important. Jesus fulfills a prophecy in getting that donkey. In verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They bought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees, that would be palm trees, and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him uh, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Again, Matthew gives us this incredible detail of what the people shouted because that is a direct quote from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 says, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. It's as if the people of God were standing, lining the streets of Jerusalem and as they watched Jesus come in on a donkey and realize, yes, this is our guy. This is the promised king. This is our savior. This is the one who is going to free us from oppression once and for all. The only thing that bubbled out of them was the scripture that they had memorized and lived in and breathed for the last 300 years. Hosanna, Hosanna, they shouted. They're pumped. This is our guy. We knew it. I knew it when he healed those lepers. I said it'd be him. Hosanna, Hosanna. They can't do anything but worship. They can't do anything but stand in disbelief. This is happening. Our king is here. Hosanna, Hosanna. Here he is, the king of the Jews. Verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And asked, who is this? Who is this that would provoke such a reception? Who is this that has come in on a donkey and the dirt is too good for him? They've laid down their coats and, and leaves for him to walk in. Who, who, who is this guy? You know, as, as I read that piece of Scripture where the city wonders, who is this? I ask myself the question, who is Jesus really? You know, we can have a faith that centers around calendar events. And we know that Jesus is important. And we know that when we come to church next weekend and sit and, and, and remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us both on Friday and on Sunday... And that can be who Jesus is. Or you can ask yourself the question, who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to you? And as I sat in that question over and over again, I find it hard to give you an answer. And I think it's not because 
He's so small that I can't put my finger on what it is, but it's the opposite. It's that he is so big, he is so massive, so sovereign, so powerful, that I can't find the words to describe who Jesus is to me. But do you know what? I don't have to. Because the scripture writers, the people who gave us the word of God, point to Jesus from the very beginning to the very end. You know, Jesus was not a concept that God came up with at Christmas. Jesus does not come into existence on Christmas Day as a baby swaddled in a manger. Jesus has always been. Jesus has always been the plan. And when you pick up the Bible, when you pick up the Word of God and you don't see Jesus, then you are reading it wrong. If you know the Word of, if you know the Word of God, but you don't know Jesus, then you have missed the whole point. He is the plan and He is the promise and He is the whole point of the Scriptures. We see it from the very first page to the very last page. The whole of the Word of God, the whole of the Bible points to who Jesus is. Word after word, page after page, paragraph after paragraph, writer after writer points us to Jesus. You know, from Genesis to Deuteronomy, He is our Creator, our Redeemer, our holiness, our pride. He is, excuse me, He is our holiness, our guide, and our teacher. Um, Excuse me, from Joshua to Esther, He is the conqueror, the judge, the kinsman, the prophet, the king, the intercessor, the script, the rebuilder of walls, and the one who stands in the gap to deliver us from enemies. In Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, he he, He understands our pain. He is the reason that we sing. He is our wisdom and our purpose. He is the lover of our souls. In Isaiah to Daniel, He is the Prince of Peace and Everlasting. Father, He is our comfort. He is the ever faithful one. He is the son of man and the ancient of days. In Hosea to Malachi, He is faithful, a refuge, a bearer of burdens, our mighty saviour, our peace, our avenger. He is our holy one, mighty to save. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the crucified son and He is the son of righteousness. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, He is the King of the Jews, the faithful servant, the son of man and the son of God. In Acts, He is the risen Lord and Saviour of the world. Paul writes in Romans to Philemon that he is your justifier, your righteousness, the triumphant one, that he sets you free. He is the head of the church, your joy and your completeness. Paul says that he is your hope and your glory, your mediator and your master, your blessed and hope and your benefactor. In Hebrews to Jude, he is the great high priest, our judge, our example, our purity, our life, our pattern, our truth, and our foundation to our faith. And in Revelation, He is the King of Kings and He is the Lord of Lords. When Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem and the crowds ask, who is this? Who is this guy? This is who He is. He is eternal. He has always been and always will be. He is the whole theme of the Bible. The whole book points to who Jesus is. And on this day, Palm Sunday, in the history books, all of that comes to be. 
All of that comes in this moment of the triumphant entry as Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and his people shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, here he is. We've waited for this. We've been faithful to these promises and here is our king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And as the crowd shouted praise and welcomed Jesus on a donkey to Jerusalem, their promised Messiah, they welcomed their king. They saw a head worthy of a crown. No one saw what was coming next. No one in that city on that day saw what was coming next. Because in the next few days, the story changes significantly. This king, this promised king, instead of a crown of gold, the Messiah took a crown of thorns. Instead of a throne, he took a rugged cross. And the shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna, turned to crucify him, crucify him. And the king, the Messiah, the promises, the waiting turned to nothing. He died in front of them all. And the story turns again. And he comes back to life. But it's important to understand that Palm Sunday is God fulfilling promises. Not promises that started on Christmas and finish at Easter. But promises that a king is available to you and to me. And the scriptures have foretold who Jesus is. Not just then, not just in the waiting, not just in the disappointment, not just at Easter, not just at Christmas, but every day, every moment. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And as we enter into this week of Easter, I wonder who is Jesus to you? Do you need to reconnect with who Jesus is to you? Do you need to welcome Jesus into your city, into your life, into your lane, the King again? Who is Jesus to you? What's the word that you can use? Maybe it's from the Scriptures. Maybe it's from your own experience. Maybe it's something that encompasses all of those things. But what's the word that you can meditate on every morning this week as we enter as Christians into this important season that started the triumphant entry and turned into something way, way more impacting than anyone ever thought. This Easter, remember, God has an eternal plan. Nothing was left to chance on Palm Sunday. Nothing was opportunistic. Nothing just happened that way. Every moment, every step, 
every detail was planned by God. Is that true for you in your life today? Throughout history, God spoke about a Messiah that would bring His plan to redeem the world and save it from the power of sin and death. He said prophets to foretell the coming of the Messiah so the world would recognise Him when He came. All of the prophecies throughout history about the Messiah were fulfilled in one man, a carpenter from Nazareth, Mary and Joseph's boy, the Son of God, the Son of Man. History is divided by the birth, the death, and the resurrection of one man, Jesus of Nazareth. He fulfilled every prophecy of the coming Messiah, and that same God has an eternal plan for your life. That same God invites you and invites me into a personal relationship with Him. That same God invites us into the power of the name of Jesus. A name that we see from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, from the very beginning of our life to the very end of our lives. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you this Easter? As you walk into this week, I wanna encourage you to find the words that describe who Jesus is to you. And sit in that, meditate in that as you prepare to be reminded of what He's done for you over the Easter weekend. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. You know, for whatever reason, you've walked through life and you've never made that commitment to Jesus before. You've never invited Him or or, or taken up the invitation to be in that relationship with Him. You're unable to sit here this morning and say, I'm a Christian. I know what His eternal plan for me is. You know, as a Christian, I stand before you and I know that God has an eternity plan for me. I know that God doesn't view my life birth to death, that it's much longer than that. And that God has made a way through Jesus on the cross that I might spend an eternity with Him. Jesus is eternal. Can you say the same? Do you know the eternal plan that God has for you? And do you wanna say yes? Do you want to say, yes, Lord, take me into that relationship with you. Help me to walk every day next to you, leaning on you, understanding the power of the name of Jesus, understanding that my life after this can be spent with you. Do you want to say yes? I'm just going to get everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads in this place this morning. And I wanna invite you, if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus before, if you've never said, yes, I wanna be a Christian, I wanna walk in the faith that I have, I wanna know that my eternity is secure with Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the powerful one, the one that took my sins and my burden upon Himself and set me free. I wanna make Jesus the King of my life. 
If you're here this morning and if you've never made that decision before, I wanna invite you to do that now with me. And while every eye is closed and every head is bowed, I wanna invite you just to put your hand up nice and high, just so I can see it. Every eye is closed, every bow, every head is bowed. Right now, why don't you just put your hand up nice and high and say, I wanna make that decision today. I wanna become a Christian. I wanna put my faith in Jesus. If that's you here this morning, would you put your hand up nice and high so I can see it? Every eye is closed, every head is bowed. This is just between you and God, but I really wanna see your hand. So if that's you here this morning, put your hand up. See that hand down there in the front, that's awesome. Is there anyone else here this morning that wants to put their hand up and say, yes, count me in? I wanna be a part of the eternal plans that God has for me and my life. Is there anyone else here? Okay, that's cool. Why don't we pray with those people that have put their hands up this morning I'm gonna say a prayer and I wanna invite you if you're one of those people just to say these words in your own mind, in your own heart after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know I've done wrong by living without you. I'm sorry and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace for me and ask that you would be my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day. And help me to show the world what you are like and how great your love is. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, why don't you put your hands together for those people this morning. You know, Jesus did not come into God's mind around the first Christmas. Jesus has always been the plan. Jesus has always been the plan. And you know, the Jewish people, as they waited for their king to arrive, they had no idea how this was gonna go down. And one of the things they didn't realize is that Jesus, the king, was riding into Jerusalem, not just to set them free, but to set you and me free as well. His plan, was eternal, His plan was global, His plan was for everyone. And as you enter this season of Easter this week, I wanna encourage you to sit in your understanding of who Jesus is. Remind yourself that Jesus is everywhere in this, is everywhere in your life, is everywhere in the world, and He is working he is eternal. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this incredible story that we skip over way too quickly every year. God, I pray that you would pierce our hearts this morning with who Jesus is. And God, I imagine that in an auditorium this size, with this many people, that there would be words that differ from person to person that describe who Jesus is, because that is the vastness of who Jesus is. That is the inclusion of who Jesus is. That is the power of who Jesus is, that we can walk through life as an individual and have a separate understanding of who Jesus is, but it all comes together through your Word. And God, we are connected as a people through who Jesus is to us. And so God, as we walk into this week, as we start to consider what Jesus did for us 
on the cross and through His resurrection. I pray, Lord God, that Your Spirit would be at work in Your people again and that we would arrive at Easter weekend shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Because blessed are you and blessed are we in the name of Jesus. So God, bless us this morning and into this week, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Gateway Baptist Church. We're a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.